0: What's happening? Not a lot. How are you doing? I'm good. What, give me a temperature check. Um, 105 is my guess. <laughs> it's like child's play there right now. There's nothing. God's got to toughen this place up. Had to put on the wool sweater this morning. <laughs> Do you like roller coasters, K-Net?
1: Yeah, I'm okay with them as long as things moving forward. Things that go just go round and round, I'm not good with
0: Okay, fair enough. Well, we are going to be chatting. Rarely do we talk to CEOs. They're, they're scared of me. I don't know why, but um, uh, public companies, I mean, chasing down a bunch. We, we had Matthew Prince from Cloudflare, multi-billion dollar uh, CEO come on and talk about uh, Cloudflare. Today, I've been we've been playing phone tag, COVID tag, whatever you call it, but um, a contemporary of of mine, you know, when we started Stock StockTwits and when Robinhood was getting started, eToro, uh, one of the great companies uh, that was started back uh, at the beginning of this boom was uh, DraftKings. Do you know what DraftKings is?
1: Yeah, I do. Fantasy sports,
0: Keep- sports betting. All right, Canute, a little homework. Well, I got sons. Good point. So, and, and at ASU, it's the gambling capital of the world, I think. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the, uh, well, I had a bookie back then run my bets. Now it's easy. But, anyways, we have uh, Jason Robbins, who kind of, I don't even like people like this. You know, he worked at Capital One, Boo, uh, Duke University, <laughs> and, and he's a geek. We got nothing in common yet. I think he likes me. He's uh, willing to come on the show. And I have a bazillion questions uh, as a uh, non gambler, but uh, user of the app. And, um, my strategies suck. I, 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 don't, I think I've won a couple bets, but uh, well, I want to talk about the roller coaster ride that uh, he's had building the company. I, as usual, miss this one. Uh, Woody Levin, my friend who's on the board, is good friends with Jason. Uh, I think I saw this deal, I don't know, eight years ago, seven years ago at 100 million valuation, social leverage is a seed investor. But hey, did I invest? Did I say, you know what, guys, I can't do it through my fund, but here's 25K, which I do a lot. I didn't and I don't even want to add up what that 25k would be worth. And I don't know who I'm going to blame, but I'm going to blame somebody but other than myself. I don't have to look up the emails. And then uh, Jordan Mandel, who's head of product, and a good friend of mine now is running. Um, he's not head of product. I think he's doing strategy stuff. So I want to catch up with, with Jason Robbins, who's just built a juggernaut, and it's never been easy, but I want to get it from the horse's mouth. Um, so let's... Uh, Get Jason on the phone. Canoes or any other stuff that we're supposed to cover? No, I think that's good. Mm -hmm. You didn't ask me about the weather here. Sorry. You're still not going to ask? How's the weather in Coronado? Oh, same. Okay, let's get uh, Jason on the phone. All right. Hello? Jason Robbins.
1: Howard, how are you? Big day for you. Big day. (laughs) <laughs> Good to talk to you, my man. It's been too long.
0: Yes, it's been too long. Are you hold up in Boston?
1: I am. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I'm actually on Cape Cod right now, but I've been uh, mostly here, but also in Boston a little bit during this whole thing.
0: Well, thanks. I know it's it's kind of crazy and busy, but uh, I appreciate you making the time. So I, I have a, a bazillion questions because it's been so long. You you you're hold up with the family, right? What do you have? Two two girls.
1: I have uh, I have three kids. I have two boys and a girl. So six-year-old boy, four-year-old boy and two-year-old girl.
0: And how hard's it been? Harder than running a startup.
1: It's definitely been, uh, you know, and I feel very fortunate um, to have been able to do, do this. It's been nice not traveling so much. I get to see my kids more because, you know, when you're traveling, you don't even see them in the mornings, evenings, maybe you get a couple minutes of FaceTime or something like that. But not traveling has made a big difference. Um, but, you know, it's hard. It's hard having all the kids home. Uh, you know, they're missing their friends and all that. I'm sure what a lot of people are going through. But, uh, you know, from a work perspective, I, I feel like things have been going great. Everybody obviously would love to get back in and see each other. But um, we've been, you know, probably, if anything, more productive than we've ever been. And it's amazing what you can get accomplished over, uh, over Zoom.
0: Amazing. Really amazing. And we'll and we'll talk about a little bit about that because there's some similarities obviously between what you do and some of my investments in Stock Twits. When did you start the company?
1: Started the company. I mean, technically, you know, the company was formed uh, in 2012, but we really started working on it around mid 2011, and um, you know, that was just me uh, along with my two co-founders, working out of one of them, uh, Paul Lieberman and Matt Kalish, are my two co-founders, and we worked out of Paul's spare bedroom in Watertown, and um, you know, that was for about I don't know six, seven, eight months, uh, and then we were able to raise a little bit of money. Um, we were actually had our day jobs, when we did that, which is. Crazy to think, but somehow we scrapped some money together. We, we quit our jobs. And I think you know, the official launch date of the product was in April of 2012.
0: And when did Jordan get involved on product side?
1: Almost right after. So Jordan, I think Jordan, or maybe it was Woody, introduced us. or Maybe both. Yeah, I don't remember. Both. Who was it, Jordan, that introduced so, us? I think it was probably
0: Jordan, and then I just connected the dots with Woody, who's been a, a long time friend. So it's a small world. Uh, so, small world. So Jordan, how did <laughs> you way, know Jordan? I have Jordan? a story
1: I want to tell about when I first okay. met you. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. I, um, I met Jordan because Jordan actually had founded a, a startup called Ando Media that Paul, my co-founder, who, you know, it's the guy who's, uh runs all of our product and technology technology. technology. He's the one who I mentioned, we worked out of his spare bedroom. Paul had gone to work for Jordan's startup and they kept in touch. And um, actually, you know, the guy who was the CEO of Jordan's startup made an angel investment. And Jordan just happened to be on like a a newsletter that this guy sent out about the investments. And, you know, they were in the radio business. So uh, we certainly did not look like a typical investment and it caught Jordan's eye. And by dumb luck, Jordan had been getting really into games. He, you know, I've been, you know, figuring out kind of, technology and theory behind game design. And um, and so when he saw it, he reached out to Paul. And as soon as I talked to Jordan, I was like, we got to get this guy. And uh, one thing led to another. And now eight years later, he's, he's, uh, he's still going strong with us.
0: Who was the seed investor at, who was in, it was in Boston. It was, it was Bob Messini
1: from Angel Street Capital. Uh, huh. They were, you know, Bob was the CEO of Ando Media that Jordan had brought in to help him, you know, run and eventually help sell the company. And, uh, you know, Jordan invested in the funds right? and that's how we all got connected.
0: Oh my goodness. What an incredible story. And so how do you know Woody? Because Woody is a good friend of mine. I invested in one of his companies. He's got another hot startup and he's still on the board maybe, but how did you know Woody?
1: So Woody, I got introduced to by a guy named Peter Blacklow. Peter um, was one of our original seed investors. He has a firm that he works at called Boston Seed. And, you know, Peter also had a background in games. He was for many years, the, uh, he was a, a game show network running all their digital and skill game business. So he actually ran the original sort of for, for money skill games business games like chess and solitaire and stuff over there and so you know naturally for that reason i got somehow he was in boston so i got connected to him and he said you got to meet this guy woody because woody had started a company called bring it which um you know was, yes. Uh, getting, yes yeah you know bring it and they sold that to igt yep. and as soon as i talked to woody he and i just hit it off and you know we ended up just kind of becoming friends and about a year or so later i was looking for an independent board member and uh, i said hey what do you think and he he joined and that was about seven years ago, and he's uh, still going strong with us, too.
0: What a small world. And it's, is Boston, was Boston the place for the startup? I mean, obviously, you're, I think you're in the same office, but probably expanded. Was it, was, it the, was it the right place to do this deal?
1: Oh, I think so. I mean, you know, there's a lot of benefits to being in the Valley. Um, and, you know, I, I think that there is certainly – I think it's easier to raise capital, If you're out there but it's also very competitive from a talent pool perspective and um you know there's also a lot of startups and interesting things happening so i think people tend to be a bit more fickle and bounce around a little bit whereas you know i felt like in boston we were one of the only handful of uh you know direct-to-consumer b2c tech companies that really uh, managed to kind of gain some traction there and i think that that made us stand out more than we would have in the valley And I would say, you know, outside of of the Valley, and certainly there's a big gap, I I don't think Boston's too far behind in terms of raising capital. There's some good seed funds there. We were able to raise entirely from, you know, New England-based seed capital firms and angels. So, you know, that was helpful. But uh, I think that it is a little bit harder. And that's probably the downside is, and and that's why I think a lot of companies end up, and it's unfortunate, we're trying to fix that because I think there's so much great talent, especially coming out of the universities in the Boston area. But sometimes it's a little harder to raise capital, or at least there's a percent that it is for the early stage tech companies. And um, I think if we can we can continue to chip away at that, then you're going to see Boston blossom into another hub of consumer tech.
0: So your two partners, co-founders, did you meet at Duke or did you meet at Capital One?
1: Uh, both of them met after I left Duke. So one of them met. Um, he started about, you know, maybe a year, a little less after me at Capital One, and he and I worked together for many years there. And then I left for a company called Vista Print. It's now um, called oh, wow. Simpress.
0: Yeah, private but equity. But I was equity.
1: at Vista. Uh, no, not Vista Equity. Um, it's a online, it almost if you could consider that the almost the opposite of private equity. It's online printing. Um, so oh, right, it's, right, right. Uh, you get like business cards and stuff like that, um, you know, marketing materials for your business, and um, they'll do invitations. And um, so it's a cool little company. And uh, is you know, much as printing may not sound uh, like the most exciting topic, the technology behind how they did it, they were able to pool all these jobs together into like hundreds and hundreds on these big sheets that they print and allowed them to do it so much more cost effectively that they were able to sell these things. You know, you could get 250, 500 business cards for like, 10, 20% of what it would cost you at a Staples or somewhere else. So it was a disruptive technology that really drew me to it. And uh, I went there about six, seven months after they. I got there, I recruited Matt. So other than that first year, I was at Capital One in that six, seven-month gap. He and I always worked together. And then we met our third co-founder, uh, Paul, who, um, you know, he was there. And Paul, uh, I got to know a little bit and I thought really highly of him. But the thing that, like, made me think of, you know, I got to do something with this guy is... He he left about. He, Paul was on this incredible career tear. He was like getting promoted every six months, which, you know, is what most people look to get to. You don't leave in that situation. And then in the middle of, uh, you know, this tear, he's on. He just decides to leave and go to this startup. It was actually Jordan's startup, Bando Media, and. Huh. You know, that one ended up selling shortly after and he came back to Vistaprint. But I had in my head, like, all right, this guy clearly, you know, he's, he wants to do a startup. He, he left in the middle of, you know, great career path, uh, you know, great trajectory here. So it's like, you know... I thought very highly of him. I said, if he's going to do another startup, I'm going to make sure it's with me. So Matt and I recruited him and three of us worked for many, many uh, months in his spare bedroom. You know, generally we, we wrap up work around like six, seven o'clock, uh, Vistaprint, our first job, I should say. And then we'd go to Paul's house and order some pizza and work through till about 12, one, two in the morning and get up and do the same thing. And then on weekends, we'd you know get up around six, seven a.m. and head over and work all weekend and, um, you know. Between the two, we were probably clocking 100 hours or so each a week, but we were able to, to put in two full-time jobs, basically.
0: Well, Duke and Boston, so obviously you're a massive sports fan, correct? I am. I love sports. Okay. And so, do you remember your first bet? Was it in Duke or in high school? <laughs>
1: Oh man. Uh, You know, I guess it depends on what you consider a bet. I was probably in some form (laughs) or another betting since I can remember. But my first like actual for money bet was in Las Vegas. uh, And it was when I was at Duke. I went there for um, March Madness one year and uh, we... We, we got a, you know, a room at, I think, uh, where, I think it was either MGM or The Win, I can't remember. And I just hung out in the sports book all day and bet on games and watch games. And I was like, I love this. This is awesome. And I've been playing fantasy for years before that. And as soon as I, I realized how much I love that, I, uh, you know, I got into betting too.
0: And so the inspiration for DraftKings was your love of sports.
1: You're a geek, right? I guess so. Yeah. If you want to call me that, sure.
0: Well, you at, at at Capital One. Were you in Tate? What were you in data? Uh,
1: I was actually. I bounced around a lot, so I did think I wanted to do like something entrepreneurial, and um, I ended up. I graduated college right after the tech bubble burst, so it wasn't a great time. But I, you know, as stupid kid, and didn't understand. You don't tell your employer that is hiring you in a terrible economy, that this isn't your first choice. So I was like, well, I really wanted to do a startup, but I'm just coming to Capital One because there's no startups hiring in the tech space <laughs> now. But sure enough, their HR department was great. So they actually, you know, said, they came back to me and said, hey, we just bought this company. It's up in Boston. It's most of Capital One's located in Virginia. So we just bought this company up in Boston. And, you know, we're going to run it mostly as a standalone. So it'll like being, being at a really well-funded startup right now. And I went up there and um, first, you know, I got put in credit policy and I did that for a while. And, um, you know, I was finding some things that, you know, through pricing and credit policy analysis made the money and I was enjoying it. But after about a year of doing that, I raised my hand and said, you know, hey, part of why I came here is I wanted to get a startup experience. I didn't want to you know, write credit policy for my career. That's not really the goal. And from that moment forward, they just. Basically, let me bounce around. I don't think I was in any role for more than six months, maybe twelve months tops. After that, I did everything. I, you know, was in every basically everything except I never coded for them, and I never was in directly in the finance department. But everything else I did, I did marketing, I did operations. They even let me go out on the road for a few months and uh, ride alongside and do some sales. Which, uh, you know, after they realized how bad at it I was, they they quickly pulled me out. But I got the experiences I wanted, and I got to see how everything worked
0: yeah it's an innovative bank i mean they've turned out a lot of entrepreneurs and venture capitalists out of that place
1: well, it's founder-led and started so i think that makes a big difference in the culture the guy rich fairbank who runs it's you know he's the one who found it and he's been their only ceo so i think that that really does trickle down through the whole culture
0: yeah part of my strategy at least the public markets is founder-led high-growth companies the would you say and I'm going to jump around a little bit now. Would you say, because there were three of you and Jordan, and what it was a close-knit group of people, because this was just a roller coaster, right? Um, mm-hmm. it,
1: do you think it was
0: easier to, that there were harder that there were so many of you that were together versus a single founder?
1: Oh, I mean, I think it was essential that we had people that were, I don't think anyone, I mean, certainly I couldn't have shouldered all that on my own. I think, you know, everything from just being able to, when you're going through shared experiences, have like somebody to talk to as an understanding of what you're 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 dealing with. To you know, having people that can weigh in on critical decisions. And um, you know, I think ultimately, I did you know. I did ultimately have to make the call on a lot of these things myself, but also a lot of the key decisions went to Paul or to Matt or to Jordan. And a lot of them, we got to better answers through discussion. Um, and I think being able to to share in that together was essential. I mean, I don't think we ever would have been able to navigate through everything that we had navigate through if it was just one of us, certainly not me.
0: So the first moment when you thought, "Ooh, we're on to something, do you remember it, the hockey stick moment?
1: I think the first moment I really felt that way was the start of the 2012 NFL season. Um, you know, we launched the product and at a time when a lot of these were getting started. I mean, there was probably you know 25 or so other daily fantasy sports websites when we started. And, um, you know, I didn't really know... If the category would get traction i didn't know if we would get traction um and you know obviously part of this is seasonal so i think there's a little bit of me not understanding quite how significant football would be um but just i remember that fall when when nfl was you know coming around the corner and starting just the numbers just going through the roof and thinking wow you know if we can grow like this you know right now i don't know where this is going to go and then The other moment that really made me feel like we could compete was even though we were, you know, something like the 25th daily fantasy sports website to launch, we were the first ones to launch an iOS app, first ones to launch an Android app. Um, We were just all over mobile before everybody else. And, uh, you know, it seems obvious now, but at the time when we launched it, less than 25, I think less than 20% of our traffic came on mobile. Now it's like, Ninety plus percent. Um, you know, six seven years later. So obviously, the world's evolved. But I remember thinking to myself, you know, hey, if maybe we weren't first to web, but if this mobile thing is going to be where the future is, and I think it will, then we are first there. And you know, therefore, we we're not playing from behind. We actually have shown that we can out innovate, and the market's moving fast enough. The industry's moving fast enough that if we just stay ahead of the curve, we're going to be all right.
0: And how many employees today?
1: Uh, I think we have a little over 2,000 today.
0: And have you been hiring through COVID? Like where were you before COVID started, do you think?
1: Yeah, we've hired during COVID. I mean, the hard thing has not been like, the decision to hire it's actually one of as productive as we've been one of the most challenging things uh, to do over over zoom is to interview and make hiring yeah. decisions it's just yeah. hard you don't get the same feel for people and um you know i think that that's slowed us down a little bit uh but um you know we have continued to hire and i, I think we probably i'm gonna mess on somewhere between like 50 and 100 people we've added since the start of, of of everything being shut down in march
0: so other than the iphone What's the most important thing is it the cloud that made draftkings possible?
1: Uh, that's a tough question. I mean, I think just the accessibility and speed of data, which you know is going to continue to get even better is is absolutely critical that being able to have the real time uh experience that um you know close to instantaneous data feeds provide, I think makes a huge difference in the product um and it also allows like you know to 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 set now with what we're doing to set live bets in real time, too. Um, so you know, whereas in fantasy, it was much more about being able to follow the games after you entered. It's actually mm-hmm. now with betting, you know, part of the actual product itself, or part of the, the thing that you're you're betting on itself is more real time. So uh, I think that that's, that's a pretty critical piece. Um, and then the, the other thing that I would say, uh, and this seems like a weird answer because it's not technology driven, but I think just the timing and the times that we're in, um, you know, if we'd started this company 10 years earlier, I don't think that the country would have been at the place it is now where, you know, there's more broad acceptance of what we do and um, more of, you know, uh, an impetus to, uh, more of a, a movement towards um, legalizing and regulating these activities versus, you know, banning them. Um, and we almost kind of got caught up in the middle of that and we were sort sure. of part of that transition period. But, you know, I look back at, you know, the online poker boom of the early 2000s and obviously different situation, different product. But, you know, I think that, you uh, that we we got lucky in the sense that um, we were in a, at a time where the attitudes were changing. The whole Supreme Court case, you know, we had nothing to do with that. That was just New Jersey trying to legalize sports betting and fighting it in the court. So, uh, you know, those things I think were just uh, huge enablers, and it was just kind of lucky that we started this when we did.
0: What's been the biggest perk of being CEO of DraftKings?
1: Well, I mean, I'm a huge sports fan, so being able to have you know, some measure of uh, inside access, you know, whether it's being in, um, you know, getting down on the field for a football game or meeting uh, uh, one of my favorite athletes, things like that are pretty cool. Um, That's probably number one for me. And then, you know, I don't know if you call this a perk, but um, I think that the most rewarding thing for me has been, you know, all the people that I've been able to employ and to help, you know, in some cases their careers grow and, um, and you know, a lot of people, I think, have done quite well financially, and that's been cool to see. Uh, a lot of these were people, especially some of the earlier ones like Jordan, that you know were really in the trenches with me um, you know, during some of the early days and then also during some of the really tough times. And you know, being able to see them feel the success and, and get rewarded for it has been awesome.
0: Yeah, so it's only been eight years. It feels longer. What,
1: uh, what's the market? <laughs> to me, to too. Right? Yeah. Uh, what, I think it's like around market? $15 billion, something like that.
0: And what was the first valuation seed money?
1: And the first seed money, we did a convertible note with a 20% discount and a, uh, a $6 million cap. Oh, my god. And goodness. then our first price round was 12000000 million pre-money.
0: And who did the price round? The Boston firm?
1: It was, yeah, firm. It was previously at the time called Atlas. They're now called Accomplice. Right. And um, they yeah. did our seed also. They did the note. They did both.
0: Yeah, I remember. Great stuff. So, And what has been... The most, I mean, obviously, there's so many stressful moments because I followed along so closely. What was the moment where you just smacked your forehead and said, Jesus, age, Christ? Was it that? Was it illegal or was it just money? Or what was the hardest, worst
1: moment? You know, it's hard to point to one. There's been so many, uh, <laughs> you know, challenges. Uh, I mean, same way I couldn't point to like one greatest moment either, but a few, you know, kind of things I'd mentioned um, raising money was hard. I think that was like one of the most brutal experiences each time I did it, but particularly the first couple of rounds, um, were just really tough. I mean, just rejection after rejection and, um, you know, times I thought my team was going to quit on me, things like that. Um, that was tough. Uh, I think that, you know, there was this feeling early on that, uh, we were in this marketplace driven, you know, industry where, um, like two side, not two side, sorry, but, um, you know, marketplace, meaning, you know, it's a game, but also, uh, you know, you're connecting people and there's a liquidity aspect to it. And because we weren't the first, we were coming from behind and it just, you know, felt like if we didn't catch up quickly enough that we were never going to get there. And, um, you know, that was pretty intense competitive period. Uh, you know, and, if you made me pick one, uh, I'd probably pick the next one I'm going to mention, which was in you know late 2015. Uh, having you know some state regulators come down on us pretty hard was tough, um, and you know I thought I was going to, uh, you know I didn't know if we were going to survive that. I thought that was going to be you know potentially the end of the business at the time. So that was really tough, and it felt totally out of our control. I've been focusing on you know all the things that were within our control, trying to build a great product and you know, get customers on the platform and all that. And then all of a sudden this thing that was totally out of our control, um, you know, started to happen. Uh, At least it felt that way. Uh, and then you know a couple more I'd mention. Um, we tried to to merge with FanDuel um, and got rejected yeah. by the FTC after almost a year of, of trying to make our case there. And over almost a year, especially the whole process was like a year and a half to two years between the negotiation of the deal. The deal itself took almost a year to put together, and then another like eight or nine months to go through the FTC. And so that was just like to, to put that much behind it, to go get my whole team, you know, who'd been viewing FanDuel as our arch rival to all of a sudden be like, no, now we're on the same team and let's collaborate together. And, you know, to then go back and say, sorry, actually it's not happening.
0: Um, oh my God. Yeah. From arch rival to team to arch rival again.
1: Tough, tough transition. Although, you know, it was uh, which often happens sometimes these things balance out in life. You know, a few days after I found out the FTC was seeking to challenge the merger I'm trying to figure out what do I do? Do I do I fight it in court? You know, do we walk away? What do we do? Three days later or so, um, we found out the Supreme Court was granting cert to the New Jersey sports betting case, which nobody expected uh, that they, New Jersey, I think, lost like seven times. Right. So nobody thought the Supreme Court was going to take it up. And so all of a sudden it was like, you know this sign that, hey, you know, put the merger down and focus on this. So that was kind of nice. And it gave me something I was able to go and and focus the team on and rally them around. Like, hey, we're not going to do this, but here's a new North Star, which is always hard, right? The the fastest way to get people over disappointment is to be able to get them excited about something else. And I didn't really have anything until this sort of fell into my my lap. So I got lucky there. Uh, And then I think the last thing I, I mentioned is, you know, we were in the process of going public through a SPAC. And, you know, that had been tough, right, because I had to get this deal. We, we bought a company at the same time, so I had to get that deal done and all that. But, you know, finally, this is happening. We're on a clear glide path. The stock was starting to trade well under the SPAC symbol. And all of a sudden, COVID hits and sports get canceled and the stock tanks and now all of a sudden, I don't think this thing's going to close. And we all just kind of looked at each other and we're like, you know, what's it going to be next time? We've had regulators, we've had you know, <laughs> FTC turning down our merger. Now we have a global once in a century global pandemic that's You know, a month before we're supposed to go public hits, like what curveball will the world throw at us next? And then all of a sudden, you know, an amazing thing happened. People, I think almost the market was forced to think a little bit longer term than usual. They stopped thinking about what are next quarter's earnings going to be because you kind of had to throw that out. Like next quarter's earnings didn't mean anything and nobody knew what to make of them. And they started thinking about what companies are going to potentially be positioned, you know, a little bit better than they were going in on the other side of this thing. And we were uh, we were on that list, and so you know, people suddenly started getting interested in us. And despite the fact that there were no sports happening, um, we started to trade very well, and we were able to close the deal. But. There was a moment for you know, three or four days where we went from like 17 bucks to like 10 something. And uh, I don't know how much you know about SPACs, but basically you can redeem for 10. So if it drops down to close, people redeem, you don't get the money, you don't close the deal. So as long as you're trading, you know, 11 or, or higher, usually you're okay. Um, and we were at like 17 before that. So we were feeling great. And then all of a sudden uh, sports get canceled. And in two days, we're down at 10, 11 bucks. So, you know, felt like uh, yet another thing was going wrong. And obviously, you know, we we're very concerned about just what was going on in the world. Nobody knew what was happening. And so it was pretty chaotic. So uh, hopefully that I, I could probably fill your whole podcast up, Howard, with the challenging moments. But that's, uh, hopefully it's a good list for you.
0: Should it, you know, uh, you know, my biggest worry is uh, sometimes I see a cloud in San Diego. So I, I kind <laughs> of it's hard for me to like relate, but I've. I've listened through, you know. Obviously, I follow it, so it's just, and I followed the Spac early on, and I've become like my Twitter handle is now SpacLins, and so I'm, I'm just I'm <laughs> fascinated because you kind of led your way out of that. So it's going to now alter the conversation to the to the company today, and, the, and there's so much more I could talk about. But I wanted the audience to understand the struggle of this. Like this is not, you know, founder-led companies are special because of this stuff. It's easy to say, oh, we brought in a CEO after the fact, and so many companies have to obviously, I don't know. Not 90% aren't founder-led. Once they're public, uh, I have to look up that number, but it's a high percentage. And, you know, what makes these founder-led companies so special is, is you know, in reading Phil Knight's book or, or any founder's story, you know, Reed Hastings, it's just, just that special, extra biblical ability to rally people as the founder and how did you know about or, or think about a SPAC? Because you were ahead of the curve here and now SPACs are, are I've been writing about it for a while, but specs are very interesting. I've gone from very skeptical to very positive about, you know, how, they're, how, how, the, how they've evolved. So how, how did that come to you?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, never thought, uh, DraftKings claim to fame would be, um, invigorating the SPAC market, but here we are. So we'll see how, hopefully it doesn't, it doesn't end poorly. Um, but anyway, I think the, uh, the SPAC structure i had never heard of until i met a guy named harry sloan and i was introduced to harry by uh, a investor of ours named james cross from franklin templeton and you know i was looking for angel investment at the time even though we were a more established company this is late 2015 we were getting attacked by regulators and i just needed money so i was trying to you know get introduced to people who potentially could invest and harry starts telling me about this SPAC he has and i never heard of a SPAC before so i said oh, what is it and he tells me how it works and um Um, You know, I start to tell them about our situation and how I have been trying to, you know, get uh, a merger discussion going with FanDuel, but I just wasn't having any luck getting, you know, them to engage and and getting them to the table. So uh, Harry said, well, you know, he and I basically hatched up this idea. He said, what if I took my SPAC and I made an, an offer to each of your companies to put them together into the SPAC? You know, would that maybe get things going? So I said, yeah, let's do that. So he went and he made an offer and, um, you know, our board and, uh, and FanDuel's board ended up deciding, let's try to get this deal done on our own and then figure out if we should do a SPAC or not. Cause you know, we don't even know if we're going to get through FTC and all that. So we ended up doing it then, but I kept in touch with Harry and, um, I always kind of had in my mind that if you want to do some kind of unusual deal, like I don't know that a SPAC makes sense just as, you know, going public, I think for some companies maybe, but I think in most cases, if you just want to go public, go public. But there are certain situations where, you know, perhaps uh, a traditional public process wouldn't really work well. And I think one of them is if you're trying to, you know, buy a company or put multiple companies together at the same time, you know, you can't really do that through a traditional IPO process. You have to break it into two transactions. So, you know, I kept in touch with, hey, and several years later, I I identified this company SB Tech that we wanted to buy. And I also was starting to think about, you know, going public. And uh, we talked about internally different ways we could finance it. And, you know, thought was, all right, do we do like a private equity round or raise some debt to buy it? And then, you know, potentially initiate uh, a process afterwards to go public. And it just kind of occurred to me, well, you know, Maybe there's a way because I also felt this was, you know, this was all happening um, around this time last year. And, you know, obviously I didn't predict COVID or anything you know, economically that would result from that. But I did worry that we were in the midst of an 11, whatever it was, 12 year bull run at that point. We had an election coming up. And I thought, you know, hey, maybe this could get a little choppy in the second half. The markets get a little choppy in the second half of 2020. And, um, you know, I, I might not really be able to do it in two transactions. I might have to get this whole thing done faster. And so you know, it occurred to me like, Hey, you know, a good way to do that would be through a SPAC because then we can basically take what would have been two transactions, put them together in one. And, you know, arguably it's an even faster public process to do it through a SPAC. So I called up Harry and I said, look, the, the big issue here is going to be, you know, my board's going to say, why are we doing it this way? And he said, no problem. We'll come up with a good deal. Um, so he was very you know, helpful. They were very accommodating. I think came up with a fair deal where, um, you know, they were, they were willing to give a little something up and um, we were willing to pay a little bit of a premium to, to make this happen together versus separate, you know, separate transactions. And that's really how it came together. But the only reason I knew about it was I had, I had met him years ago and he had pitched this to me through this whole FanDuel combination thing. Um, but what I like to do on, is every time you learn anything, just file it away and maybe it's never relevant. Maybe you never use it, but there may be a time it is. And it was just something I always thought, oh, wow, that's an interesting structure and had in my mind. And then when the time came, I was like, this is just the perfect time, perfect fit for it.
0: And kicker symbol, any backstory there?
1: Well, originally, um, we were going to, we, we tried to get K I N G and somebody had already reserved it. Um, so then we said, all right, what do we want to do is four initials. Cause we're going to be on NASDAQ. So, um, there was really nothing beyond just, okay, like four letters that sort of, you know, seemed to spell out DraftKings, DKNG, but originally we tried for King and, um, you know, unfortunately, well, maybe fortunately, who knows, maybe the, maybe that wouldn't have ended up being the right symbol for us. This, this, uh, that wasn't available. It was, but nobody had it. It was just being held by somebody. I still don't even really know who, um, I think at some point wow. they looked it up and told me, but, uh, anyway, we couldn't get it done. So we went DKNG.
0: Yeah, I went to Nasdaq years ago. Was talked to. This. I said, "Let's create a, a place where people can reserve their their ticker symbols, you know, early, kind of like just a, an exchange for ticker symbols, so that no one can squat. So they must be saving it for somebody. Weasels probably. So it's Trump your thought.
1: fault. Your fault that yeah, you know, Trump or lies someone lies. else. Yeah,
0: you, I know it. Well, are you into the markets at all, or are you don't, or you do not follow the markets?
1: I, you know, I am now and I was prior to, dra- there was like this six year blackout period where I was able to focus on virtually nothing but DraftKings and still pretty close to that. But um, partly because we're in the public markets, I pay a lot more attention to it now. But earlier, uh, I was really into it. I, I was doing a ton of trading when I was at Capital One. And I mean, I think it appeals to me for a lot of the same reasons that betting and fantasy appealed to me. It's just, similar right so um yeah i, I like being able to make so. predictions and make money off those predictions
0: yeah my prediction was when i saw twitter is that twitter should have bought robin hood and DraftKings, and twitter was the lead gen engine and and did they ever was there ever kind of talks that way did twitter ever see that like they had the media and the lead gen and you had the i don't know if you could say but like was there any was there any big tech company that ever came to you that you can mention or that crossed your yeah. mind
1: there was never any yeah it's weird because and i wasn't like one of those founders that's like i'm never selling or anything like that like i have no desire to sell but i wasn't like i'm always just objective what's the best thing but it just never worked out where anyone made a serious play for us um during you know the first you know 6 7 years and by the time we did start to get some of that attention we were already pretty far down the going public path but um yeah, i mean we had a great relationship with twitter there was actually a point in time years ago where they were considering an investment in us and i think probably for the same reason they don't acquire companies like this um they felt that it would potentially close them off to doing business with with others in our space probably would but um you know i think a lot of twitter is a media company at its core like in that way in terms of its monetization and they rely uh and it's no different than facebook but also no different than like disney they rely on making money by you know amongst other things selling ads and I think the idea that they would kind of go in on this new model and, you know, give up the potential ad revenue from an industry that would be spending a lot of money on advertising, just they just couldn't get there.
0: I think it's also founder DNA. I've always hoped. To, I've said, like, when I saw Twitter I'm, and obviously started us, I'm like, well, this is Bloomberg. All they got to do is wrap in charting, gambling, uh, uh, yeah. brokerage, and you have a global Bloomberg at a retail level. So I've always kind of been fascinated if there was any backdoor chats. Have you thought about bro- like? You know, there's this, and, and, and we'll talk about the core business, but there's, a, you know, this fantasy of mine that like, you know, if you look at Bloomberg, there it's sports and finance, right? And if you looked at Yahoo Finance, it always sports and finance. Um, has that ever crossed your mind? The, you know, seeing Robinhood and seeing the fact that, you know, people say Robinhood's, you know focus is is the guardrails are off. Listen, I'm a Robin Hood investor, so I I call baloney and all that stuff. But, you know, people want to trade, right? People want to express themselves in sports bets and trades. Has that crossed your mind at all, like crossing over into finance?
1: You know, we we haven't. It's certainly even something that's crossed my mind. We've had such a ride and just so many things that are just right in front of us that, you know, going that direction hasn't been something that I felt like we've been able to really seriously consider, but I get the point you're making. There's certainly overlapping customer base, um, you know, both are regulated industries. We're very familiar with how to operate in a regulated industry, you know, so it could be something down the road that we would think about. But uh, I think, you know, right now we have just such an open runway in front of us for for the sports betting and general online gaming market. And um, I haven't really felt like at any point this whole, you know, it's only been eight years, but the whole time since we started this, that I was really able to say, you know, hey, what what's next? Uh, it's always kind of been, you know, what, what do we need to do right now?
0: Yeah, so it's white space, white space, white space. So, so seeing that it's white space, what are the key things that have to happen in 2021 at a macro level? Because obviously, you know, investors now for sure the stock's gone up, so some investors may not be as patient. If we went into a lockdown, right? There's some air in all these public companies, so you're not going to expect people to. You'll get punished like everybody else would if we go into round two. But um, what for white space to continue? What what's like the what's the what's the beautiful thing that would happen? Just more states. Uh, allowing That's the it? biggest
1: thing. Yeah, I think, you know, there's two sort of angles and they, they really are one. It's um, geography and product expansion. And, you know, those two are enabled by regulation. And uh, I think it starts with states. Eventually, you know, we want to be a, a global company. So I think You know, it also is uh, we're looking at what's going on in other parts of the world that are going through similar, uh, you know, changes to their regulatory framework around these things. And I think that, you know, at least in the short term, obviously, over the long term, there's a lot more that will go into to what makes us sustain growth. But I think at least over the next few years, states opening up. Um, both sports betting, but also iGaming and allowing more more access to those types of products for their, the, the people who live within the States. Like just being able to reach broader geographies with these products is going to make us grow. And I think, you know... Over the long term, there's going to be a lot more that we need to do, obviously, in order to sustain that growth for many years to come. But I think it's pretty clear in the next few years that the by far number one factor um, that will either accelerate or decelerate our growth is how many states and which states do these things.
0: Has any analyst out there covering it, like uh, done a projection of what the t- uh, the Tam is the total addressable market because you know you've got arch enemies you don't have arch enemies you know maybe it's 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 such a big market that uh, everybody can win does anybody kind of gauge that
1: you know I've seen various ranges um you know we we've kind of put out there that we think sports betting plus i gaming at you know a kind of fully penetrated state could be a, a north of 40 billion dollar market and then you know, the, the question is how many states do these things? And, um, you know, maybe that's a little low, but I don't think that meaning I think it could be higher, but I don't think it's lower than that. I think it's at least a 40 billion dollar market if all states did adopt these products. And the harder thing to predict is which ones and, and when
0: 40 billion a year. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's unbelievable. So there's just tremendous white space. So
1: and that's just um, in the U.S.,
0: Oh my goodness. Cause someone asked me about cricket. Like what, like what do you do? I mean, wouldn't that be the biggest sport in the world if you could figure out how to do that?
1: I mean, cricket is huge in India and other parts of the world. And India is a perfect example where, you know, we're keeping our eye on it. India is probably a few years behind where the U.S. was on the regulatory cycle. They just had a high court ruling that ruled that daily fantasy sports in India is a game of skill. Um, so just eerily familiar watching the cycle they're going through. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if over the next, you know four to five years, maybe, who knows, I'm bad at predicting how long, but over some period of, uh, of time, um, you know, India decides to, to legalize online gaming, uh, pretend, potentially starting with online sports betting.
0: And so now that, I don't know if you ever saw this coming, but with Barstool Sports and Penn, um how do you think of media and customer acquisition a world where maybe i mean the guy's personality the cult of personality came out of nowhere i'm not i'm pretty i follow them only because of the the stock stuff i find it ingenious so in a world where they may have an edge around media i'm not i don't i don't have i don't know this the space that well how do you think about how that's changed kind of your competition landscape and how you think about the business
1: You know, it's really interesting because, uh, I think what you're seeing now, and I'm, you know, I think this is a great thing is a ton of investor interest in the space. And, uh, Penn had a very interesting angle that they chose to go about it. You know, our angle was, we're going to be the leaders in product and technology. We're going to have, you know, the highest LTVs, the best product, um, all that. And, uh, we're going to be the best at using data and data science. And, um, you know, I think they, they came up with a, an angle that's obviously playing very well in the stock market. You know, this notion that there's this uh, synergy between media and content uh, and gaming. And, um, you know, right now uh, I think that they, um, you know, they haven't launched a product yet. So it's, it's the story and the narrative and um, like everything that comes down to the execution, but they, they got a, a good group there. I mean, Jay Snowden who runs Penn is, is really, really smart um great guy uh you know erica nardini runs barstool she's incredibly smart very strategic um so you know i think they'll be a good competitor and we're looking forward to competing with them
0: is it the three you think Van you and barstool or am i missing anybody
1: i mean there's many others that are certainly uh you know in the mix mgm has a, a jv with a gvc called roar uh, ROAR that they're, um, you know, definitely investing in, uh, you know, there's others in Europe, um, that I think could potentially become, oh, It was William Hills, another one. There's others in Europe that I think could potentially, uh, decide to get more serious about the U S ranging from bet three, six, five to, you know, Unibet and some others. So, I mean, there's a lot out there, but, um, I, I think that right now, uh, it's kind of, and, and again, this, is right now, obviously this is the early days and the market could change, but right now, um, you know, us and FanDuel have somewhere between like 70 and 80% of the market and, uh, you know, virtually every state that we're in, we're number one or number two respectively, uh, each of us are. Um, so oh, okay. uh, I think that's the current state. And then, you know, Barstool, uh, I think they're planning to launch in Pennsylvania, I want to say this year. And, um, you know, I think they'll do well, but right now, um, it's, it's mostly us and, and FanDuel. And then, um, you know, the, the others I mentioned have, uh, the remainder of the market, you know, each of them have kind of like single digit market share, essentially.
0: What's your go-to if you want to make a bet? What do you fantasy? What do you, what what do you like, uh, speculating?
1: You mean like what type of bet would I make?
0: Yeah. What sport and what bet?
1: Uh, you know, I think the sport's harder cause I, I used to like to bet on all the sports. I mean, football is always probably my favorite. Um, just love football but i would bet on everything baseball basketball hockey college sports you name it so um i love all that stuff and uh you know i was more of like a spread and over under person uh i would sometimes parlay a money line with something else but mostly i would bet the spreads and over unders and you know i was betting in vegas mostly so like this whole notion of live betting it just wasn't that's not that's not a product that really exists in a physical sports book in, in Las Vegas. So um, back in my betting days, I can't bet anymore. I haven't been able to for years. But back in my betting days, I never really got exposed to live betting. I think if, uh, if I had, I, I would have a different answer for you than I just gave. But um, because I didn't, I was more of a spreads and over-unders guy.
0: And what, if I'm a beginner, like I'm a beginner, so I, I'll bet 50, 25 bucks. What is a beginner to do against all these experts? What's the way to just ease in and enjoy the idea and just have a little speculation uh, with, with play money?
1: Well, you know, I think for betting, because it's house-backed, you don't have to worry as much about um you know, the, the people that you're playing against per se, cause you're playing against the house. And true, another true. way to put what I'm saying is if you took a spread in an NFL game, let's say you took all the NFL games for week one and you close your eyes and you randomly picked one side of the spread on average you win 50% of those bets. And so, you know, I think that the, the kind of straight up or against the, uh, you know, sorry, the, the bets that are like more, you know, they're not odds based, They're more just, you know, pick one side of the other and it's close to kind of, on the payout. Um, Those are the easiest ones because you kind of can't go wrong. Um, If you play enough, you're going to just even out over time. And it's a, a good way to just make the games more fun. I mean, I think a lot of people, when I used to bet myself very much included in this, I never had the expectation that I would win over the long run. I definitely hoped I would win an individual bet or an individual, you know, day, but I never, you know, I knew I was going to probably lose money over the long run. And it was more for me, Hey, I can go, I give you the March madness example. I can go and I can watch all these games all day long and get so much extra enjoyment out of them. Just, you know, every one of these, including games between two teams, i you know, didn't know any of the players before anything. Um, now, all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm glued to the screen. I'm riveted even more than I would be, uh, you know, if I didn't have money on the line and that was worth it to me. And so I think if that's the experience you're looking for, you just want to make the games a little more interesting. I think starting with the spreads of the over-unders is an easy way to go because, you know, like I said, you can pick randomly and you're going to have a 50-50 shot.
0: And what is, a $15 billion company, what is the day-to-day job of a CEO? You don't get to do anything that you want to do, I guess, like COVID (laughs) through even, COVID even made it worse. I mean, obviously you love your family, but uh, what is the day-to-day of a CEO of a $15 billion company?
1: You know, it's funny you mentioned not getting to do things. Like I used to early on love spend time on product and marketing, and I don't get to do that much anymore. Um, I think there's like really two categories of things. There's things that I still do directly, um, things like, you know, when we need to raise capital, um, you know, doing the fundraising, uh, some of the big, you know, partnership deals, uh, I've been involved in when we acquired SB tech, I really drove that M and a deal. Um, you know, those are the things that I'm more kind of spending, you know, direct effort on. And then the bulk of the day is just, you know, spending time with everyone else, managing the business, understanding, you know, what they're doing. So I'm up to speed and uh, I can think about, you know, things knowing exactly what's going on in different parts of the business. And then, you know, they don't usually need my help, but if there is something that they need help with just being available to to help, um, you know, that's really a lot of where I spend time, but uh, I think it varies too. It's just, a lot of what you have to do is just, Um, And it's almost like instinct as much as anything, just know where to focus at any point in time. There's only so many things you can focus on. So you have to pick the most important ones. And it's very easy, very easy to get caught up in something that's just personally interesting to you. Um, And I feel that. I feel myself being pulled into like, you know, wanting to get into the weeds on product and things like that. And um, I think what's been helpful to me is just like knowing that and keeping that top of mind that, hey, I actually have to fight the urge to gravitate to the things that I want to do and really try to focus on the places that I actually can have the most impact and, you know, places that I can be the most value add because there's plenty of other people that can maybe do the things that I actually want to do better than I can.
0: Wow, that's great. What uh, is, was it
1: equal the three of you when you started? In in like terms of uh, ownership or just responsibilities?
0: Uh, Equal in ownership or was it a different spread?
1: Uh, ownership was relatively equal. There were some slight differences, but it was relatively equal. Um, and you know, over time, that we've tried to keep it as much that way as possible. I think, I don't know, I, I, I different people, I think, have different approaches, and whatever works for somebody might not work for others, but um, I, couldn't do this by myself and especially couldn't do it without my two co-founders, but that also goes to others. And I've always tried to, you know, take at least some of whatever I would have gotten and spread it around. Cause I've looked at it that the, the hard part is actually getting to a successful outcome. Um, sure. When that happens, if that happens, then I'll be fine. Um, yeah, so trying to sort of worry about every penny isn't, uh, you know, isn't going to get us there.
0: That's the good lesson, right? Like you did. Here's the thing for people that try and tell you know, as founders today, with their uncapped notes and the craziness, you did you did a price round two on six with uh, two on six, right? Or was that the first note? Uh,
1: I did the price round was twelve. The the yeah. uh, the note was six cap.
0: Yeah. Right. If you have a big market, and you know, I want to tell this to founders all the time. And, and Jason's not saying it; I'm saying it. Is if the market's big, there's plenty of money to go around. And nickel and diming at the beginning, uh, unless it's your last hurrah, is not the place to spend money. Get the right people, get the right partners around you, and stop worrying about nickels and dimes. I mean, it adds up, of course, but you know, fifteen billion dollars later, there's plenty to go around. The couple more questions. Exactly. The, what was the biggest surprise about COVID? Like what? Like what? That, okay. First of all, you nailed something that's super important that to my stock audience. I think. What blew my mind, and obviously you were too in the middle of this because you were panicking about whether the deal was going to get done. Because I remember I had owned the stock and I didn't own the stock, whatever. I was just farting around and COVID hits and my attention went to the big brand. So I wasn't looking at your stock. Um, That I think what happened in hindsight is like you said, like we were fucked. This country was closed, but smart money just said, wait a minute, we're going to just, yeah, everything's a zero. So let's assume everything's zero and the market closes for a year. What companies do we want to be in? That when the world opens up again, you know, and I think what happened is it's like that that classic cartoon buy, 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 sell, 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 sell. I think people realize, <laughs> wait a minute. Yeah, everything's zero. But this, and then it was like a game of chicken. And then people just realized, well, wait a minute, DraftKings, you know, these brands aren't going away and sports may be gone for a year. But, and I think, I think that is the fascination that I have with markets. You know, somebody just put up and said, we'll just start buying. You know, this is the number because, you know, the world was shut down. That was so <laughs> crazy. And so what was the most surprising sport or thing or something on the app that just blew your mind during COVID, during the first lockdown? I
1: I was surprised at how many people gravitated to some of these, you know, alternate offerings, if you will. Um, Esports exploded. That was a big one because like. I can't tell you how many years people have been like, esports is going to be huge, and we're all just waiting, waiting for it to suddenly take off. And I guess it took a global pandemic, but uh, esports just absolutely exploded during uh, during you know the sports hiatus. And most of it stuck. Um, you know, it, a little bit of it's migrated to other stuff, but most of it stuck. Uh, table tennis at one point was our number one betting sport. Um, it was like yeah. over 50% of our revenue. Uh, I never thought I would utter those words: table tennis. And then you know potentially even more surprising there was uh you know uh, some regulators that were worried about a scandal in table tennis who knows if it was driven by all the betting volume that was coming in so then that became a thing and thankfully that was not a big deal in the end but um you know that was really weird just all of a sudden table tennis is something that we're even like talking to regulators about which is uh you know certainly not expected um You know, we had a lot of people participate in, uh, you know, free to play games and betting on the Nathan's hot dog eating contests. Uh, You know, I've always thought that was a little fun to watch, but never thought it would be a significant focus of our marketing or betting on any particular year so in any particular year so that was a little surprising um yeah and then i think you know uh everything else kind of it was it was just a lot of experimentation and you know and there's nothing i would say like hey i'm surprised this worked or that worked but um collectively uh i was surprised at how quickly we were able to just get a lot of stuff out there and that you know a lot of it was just shots on goal to use a sports analogy you know we weren't sure was a you know game based on survivor going to work better than a game based on the democratic debate um and it was just trying something it was to put at 70 80 different pools and trivia games and things during the first few weeks and team was just literally just cranking stuff out and seeing what works
0: and then one last question about the business streaming sports or sports radar how does that play into the future
1: well streaming was something that we also you know We always thought about it, but uh, most of the sports that were popular, you could watch. So it wasn't like a number one focus area for us. But then when suddenly table tennis and, you know, Bundesliga soccer and you know some of these other sports that weren't as easy to watch and in, in the U.S. on on traditional channels suddenly became popular and people wanted to to stream them. We started to integrate that. So uh, when table tennis is more than half of your revenue, people want to watch it. Uh, so that was that was a uh, something that we started to spend a little bit more time on, and um, you know it was pretty it was pretty interesting how many people engaged with it. I, I don't know if it would have the same effect if it were things you could just watch on you know. The TV or just stream, you know, from, from uh, you know, other places. But uh, when it was the only place that you could watch it and people were betting on it, they, they definitely wanted to, to stream. So we put it up there.
0: And what are the key tools that have saved your life here? Is it you're a Microsoft Teams company or a Slack or a Zoom? How, how do you think about like, what are the products that just make it possible for a company?
1: I mean, Zoom and Slack were always core to, to what, you know, we, how we communicate and, it was funny because like all these people I talked to were like oh you know have you heard of the Zoom thing I was like yeah we've been using it for years because we had offices around different parts of the world and different parts of the country and so I mean we, the, the nice thing for us is we were already I was on Zoom meetings all day before COVID um, so you know that was something that, that we we had used for years Slack is the, the primary um, you know communication tool outside of email that people use for, for more chat based communication and updates and things um, so we kind of just continued to use the same channels. What I found was interesting is, um, you know, people, I used to do calls too, and everything shifted to zoom. So it was like, right, I had a mix of zoom and calls before now, like every call is a zoom. Um, you know, I kind of miss chatting on the phone a little bit, but, uh, otherwise it was pretty much the same thing. You know, I was not in an office setting, but I was still on zoom.
0: And have you done some podcasts or so you just kind of, you're not a media hound. So have you, have you done some podcasts or no?
1: Well, I think um, this is the first one I've done in a while. I did a Freakonomics podcast a couple of years ago, I think, that was fun. Um, I like those guys. But, uh, I, you know, I do what my PR team asks me to do. I, they're, on, uh, they're, they're always on top of, uh, you know, whatever's best for the business. So, um, you know, whatever they ask me to do, I'll do. But I don't necessarily seek it out. And, um, but this is fun. I mean, you and I know each other and th- these types of things are fun for me.
0: You said you had a story. I'm embarrassed to ask. What was the story? Because I have bad memory.
1: Well, it was the first time I met you, you were, and this was like, I think, 2013. And you were like all over blockchain, like before people were talking about it. Like you were like, this is the next big thing. And you're the one who actually initially turned me on to blockchain. And I got really into crypto after that. And I remember just like uh, you and I were sitting in a cafe. You probably don't remember this the first time we met at a hotel. Um, I don't remember I think it was like a Hyatt or something like that but it doesn't matter it was at some hotel we were sitting in the cafe and I think Jordan had introduced us and we got together and you had brought uh, an entrepreneur I forget his name it was starting something blockchain based that you had invested in and you're just like you should get into this blockchain thing it's going to be a really big deal and I had vaguely heard of it but wasn't really familiar and I remember going home that night and just reading you know for hours about it and uh, ever since then it was just something you know it was, it, I was I loved it I just dug in and I made a ton of crypto investments over the years so thank you for that you were you were on top of it before almost anybody else was that i knew at least and you were obviously right it's, uh, it's
0: a well, big deal he it- toro was the was way ahead of everybody they i remember yoni telling me about it at 12 cents and uh, the only solace i have of not buying it at 12 cents is my money would have been at that uh, mount gox anyway so i would have lost <laughs> it yeah, it's the only way I can get to bed at night knowing I would have been worse knowing that it was stolen. So so is there a DraftKings Mafia? Two last questions. Is there a DraftKings Mafia? Like, um, you know, it's eight years, people are going to leave, they're tired out, they have other dreams, they have other hopes, they, they get the entrepreneurial spirit. How are you handling that? Because, you know, PayPal has a mafia. I mean, fantasy sports, like like Robin Hood's going to have a mafia strike. Is, is there a DraftKings Mafia yet in your mind?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, we, we hope that people still are excited enough about, you know, what we're doing. And we think we're only in the first inning that they want to they want to keep going with us. But um, in 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 any company that, you know, you start off uh, smaller, you have people that get the bug. And, and we've had a few of those. We have a few people out there doing startups. And um, I've always loved it and been supportive. People, when they've you know decided to do it, sometimes they're like, nervous that you're going to get upset they're leaving of course you never want anyone talented to leave but never do you outwardly you know say hey don't do that i mean you're always gonna always the best thing to do is to be supportive and i've actually invested in several of the startups that uh people who you know have left DraftKings to go after uh to, to to go start or be a part of have joined so um i love doing that i think you know as much as investing in in great things that you, you learn about on the spot can be lucrative. There's nothing like, you know, somebody that, you know, well, you know what they can do. You're a believer in them. I mean, that, that's really, you know, a no brainer, um, to to invest in those types of people and and so you know i've always kind of tried to put out there that hey if if you want to go do something you should do it and i want to be helpful to you in that like we want people out there uh, that start great companies and say that they learn things that, that help them be successful there from their experience at DraftKings, and i hope that is part of our legacy one day
0: and who are some of the entrepreneurs that you started out with that you think are doing a great job companies that you look up to in your contemporaries
1: you know, um, I think for us, because we're in Boston, I didn't get to know a lot of them for, for a few years, but, um, you know, some of the ones that started around the same time as us, Uber started right around the same time, They like about a year before us. So they were always one that, you know, they were way ahead of us. Uh, but we always, you know, used that as a motivator and measured ourselves and our progress against them. Um, you know, I think that, uh, and this is not necessarily, um, you know, one of our contemporaries, but as I look at kind of, you know, startup stories that we admire, um, you know, Amazon is a big one. We talk about, you know, how Amazon started as an online bookstore and just continued to iterate and evolve. And, um, you know, we obviously not nearly with the success and skill they have, but we, we think, you know, we're, we're sort of a, a smaller example of that where we started off doing daily fantasy sports and now expanding new products. And, you know, it's the same kind of idea where somebody creates an account with you, you have the wallet, you have their engagement They have brand affinity and you give them good experiences and they'll try more things that you put out there. Um, you know, so those are some examples, but, uh, I think a lot of, you know, the companies that we started with, it was interesting because Boston, you know, I think we're getting better at it. and, And years ago we were, uh, we were known for, for consumer tech, but over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, it's been more pharma, uh, you know, and, um, biotech and uh, fintech and things like that coming out of Boston. So there's a lot of great companies I've gotten to know in that space, but they're just so different in what they're doing that it's it's been hard to sort of look at them as a comparison. It's more just, you know, um, friends and, and interesting kind of stories that I've gotten out of that.
0: And you love writing checks into startups, it seems like.
1: Well, you know, for me, like the the idea is the energy and being a part of something and also giving back. Um, I just love it. I mean, I, I think that it, you know what I'm saying. The sort of energy and the vibe of the startup community is just the, the fact that people want to help each other. It's just it's such a there's so much optimism and so much, you know, you know, disruption and and, uh, ambition um, in the air. It just, it's invigorating. And I like being a part of it. And then I also like giving back. I think back to how many people said no to me. And, you know, obviously like we were able to somehow raise money and figure it all out, but it was hard. and um, One of the hardest things that I think stops companies that maybe could eventually be great from getting there is being able to raise capital. So if there's a small role I can play in enabling some entrepreneurs that need a break, then Um, you know, I think that that's very rewarding and none of this, like, I don't think any of them are going to be like massive financial paydays, even if they, you know, 10, 50, a hundred X, um, it wouldn't be like, you know, life-changing money or anything for me. It's more, um, the pride of of uh you know seeing somebody when they were at their early stage and believing in them and then having them come through and watching their journey and um you know i just love it it really just it gives me so much energy and gives me so much optimism about the world
0: yeah it's 24 7 sports so i I think i'll end it there you're very gracious it's uh so happy uh for all the people i know there um And it's fun to ride along. I own some shares, so it's fun to just follow along. You know, that's the beautiful thing about the stock market. You don't have to, like, put your life savings on it. But I keep track of, you know, tons of companies. In in the era of Robinhood, you can keep track of tons of companies with one share or 50 bucks. So uh, it's really amazing kind of the era that we're in and the crossover between you know, fantasy and, and, uh, e-gaming or what you call e-sports and, uh, the stock market itself. So all the best. I appreciate your time here chatting with us and we'll check in with you some other time. Thanks, Jason. Thanks Howard.
1: Hope to see you soon. Thanks for
0: having me. All right, buddy. Cheers. Hey, Canute. Hey, what'd you think?
1: Fascinating. What a fascinating
0: business. The, uh, it's just fascinating. uh, The struggle that they had, huh? Oh, long road to go and he's obviously he and his partners and everyone with him have kept the momentum going which is impressive yeah so it's such a roller coaster so i'm glad i'm excited to get everybody to hear that one um i think you can see kind of that team you know a founder-led team through that kind of it's hard to bet against something like that and now the world is kind of opening up to this idea this whole idea of uh, everybody connected and be able to wager very interesting and and play game. All right, buddy. So uh, thanks for organizing that. Uh, everybody, this is Panic with Friends. Uh, if you like it, just head on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts to search Panic with Friends or my name, Howard Lindzen or Stock StockTwits uh, and hit the subscribe button on the show, Panic with Friends. And if you like markets and talking about stocks and listening about startups, uh, I have a daily blog, Howardlinson.com, which also links to the podcast. Uh, it's a free subscription. Just head over there and, and subscribe, and we'll see you uh, on the next episode. Thanks, Knut. Thank you.